What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere. Visit highland.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so happy that you're here. I want you to get a feel for today's guest's music before learning more about her and hearing her speak. So I invite you now to close your eyes, take a deep breath, put your hand on your heart or your womb or one on each and listen. I am a woman who runs with the world. A brave heart shattering, shattering walls. A woman who follows, follows the call of the wild one, dancing, dancing gear all. I am a woman who runs with the wolves, a brave heart shattering, shattering walls. A woman who follows, follows the call of the wild one, dancing, dancing, yeah, all. And I have stood naked in front of the judge. I bared my body, my breast, and my blood. I heard their whispers of disrepair, and I choose to leave all of them there. Cause I am a woman who runs with the wolves, a brave heart shattering, shattering walls. A woman who follows, follows the call of the wild one, dancing, dancing it all. And I have spoke truth that cannot be unsaid. I have found treasures there covered in red. And I have gone deeper into the core where the oldest of stories, they open the door. And I am a woman who runs with the wolves, a brave heart shattering, shattering walls, a woman who follows, 
follows the call of the wild one dancing, dancing it all. I am a woman. I am a wild one. I am a woman. I am a wild one. I am a woman. I am a wild one. I am a woman. I am a wild one. I am a woman who runs with the wolves. A brave heart shattering, shattering walls. A woman who follows, follows the call of the wild one, dancing, dancing it all. I am a woman who runs with the wolves, a brave heart shattering, shattering walls. A woman who follows, follows the call of the wild one, dancing, 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 dancing wild. Wild one, dancing, dancing, wild one, dancing, dancing, wild one, dancing it all. Our guest who you just heard singing is who first introduced me to Womb Wisdom. She is an award-winning vocalist, composer, producer, performer, and multi-instrumentalist. She is a storyteller, a bard, a poet, and a muse. When she is not on stage or deep in her craft, she offers her medicine as a musical midwife, supporting the archetypal embodiment journey of her students. Steeped in the alchemical arts of womb clearing, she currently leads her Voice of My Womb local enrichment workshop series globally and online. As a multi-instrumentalist and multimedia enchantress, she creates the way she breathes without choice or hesitation. She is a carrier of myth, mystery, and medicine songs with which she embarks to create a ceremony of the human experience, taking her audience on lucid journeys through the caverns of the soul. Please help me welcome the womb goddess, Maria Stark, to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. It's nice to be with you. Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I have been listening to your music for quite a while, but didn't know who you personally were uh-huh. until you spoke about uh, womb wisdom and honoring our cycles and listening to our womb at the Sisu Society call. Nice. Yeah. And that was so amazing. And it introduced me to so much. So I'll go into that a little bit later, but I wanted to say, um, and I know you've probably heard this from so many people, which is such a gift that your music has been such a sacred part of the most sacred parts of my life. Uh, like my sister circle, we often, no matter what type of ritual we are doing, we often involve your music and we'll dance around the fire to lineage. And there's this deep knowing that we share our lineage too, you know, Mm. four of us. And, and then also voice of my womb is also just 
so holy to sing as you're bleeding mm. with your blood on your face or whatever you, you do with your blood. And um, I know one day that I'll throw my daughter a red party and I'll sing that song to her for mm-hmm. it. And I can just, every time I, I sing it or every time I listen to it and, you know, she already knows the song really well, but I, I get that visual of just, wow, her story with her body is going to be so different than my mm-hmm. life. Mm, mm. so it's such a blessing every time I hear your song because I get that visual so Mm, thank you yeah Yeah. I love hearing that that's definitely the that was the point of inspiration for bringing that particular collection forward yeah Mm -hmm. I want to hear a little bit about that as well but I I was curious about how so much sacred work involves music and I know for me, when I'm on medicine, I can see music. I can see it like the weaving of the sounds. It becomes like a pattern. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious what it is that causes such a shift in us when we sing or when we drum or when we Mm -hmm. dance to a certain song Mm -hmm. that brings out like a certain embodiment depending Mm -hmm. on what song we choose. And you can either give a scientific answer or a spiritual answer or whatever you prefer, but I'm just curious what that is. Yeah. Well, um, my understanding of that phenomenon is that <clears throat> the universe is created of light and sound and frequency, vibration, organized in time mm-hmm. and organized interdimensionally. And that when we as human beings who are set up with our cognition to be able to process music to hear it to be in response to it that that is part of this sacred relationship of Mm -hmm. self other and creation and so in this broader sense my philosophical and poetic view is that oh we are part of a great song of creation we're part of this cosmic symphony and we are instruments through which that creative uh mystery can sing through and some of the information that I learned that fully touched me when I was studying music therapy and sound healing um, was that our brain has many different functions we have like our all the different kind of quadrants and spaces in the brain that are supporting different functions of livingness and when we're engaged in a musical experience it's when our entire brain is interacting and and turned on all the way so the the Mm -hmm. way that I've always seen that is like oh human beings are as a mechanism designed to be an interaction with a musical experience and it's when we are the most alive or we're when we're most uh on (laughs) and so in participating with that um some of the other things that I really love about thinking about that is that, you know, sometimes we're in cognition, we're in meaning making, we're in memory, we're in information storage, but that when we're in a musical experience, suddenly it's tapping into this process for things to be flowing synergistically inside of us. And so all of a sudden our capacity to integrate those that information is different. So we're Mm -hmm. integrating multidimensionally, we're integrating memory, we're integrating knowledge, we're seeing it weave together with a a quality of meaning that is almost dreamlike where we're Mm -hmm. suspending our um, organization of like third dimensional reality and suddenly tapping into more of this 
theta state, this activated state, this state that um, supports us accessing these other uh, fields of and attuning to other fields of energy that feel, I think for a lot of people, really mystical, really connected to divinity, really connected to the soul in another way. And it's hard to measure any of that. You know, there, there's a lot of science that supports different kinds of ideas around construct awareness and functionality of the body and, and heart, you know, um, uh, what is it? Homeostasis and all of these different things, but there mm-hmm. are some other mythical aspects that aren't yet measurable, I think, but that music yeah. thrusts us into. Yeah. It made me think, cause you said the brain like comes fully alive. Have mm-hmm. you seen the documentary? I believe it's on Netflix called alive inside. I haven't. So basically it's, oh my gosh, you'll cry the whole time. It's not that long, but um, it's all of these elderly people with dementia that when you play their favorite songs from their childhood or that they used to dance with their wife to, they start to regain memory. Mm-hmm. And they remember the words of the song, like people mm-hmm. with full blown dementia who can't mm-hmm. remember their own names, remember the words of these songs. And so mm-hmm. there's there. It's so such a magical film. Uh, and it's just I think I have seen clips of that film, you know, the yeah. little clips that got mm-hmm. posed out. And yeah, as a music therapist, when I worked in music therapy, I did work with elderly and people mm-hmm. with dementia and people with traumatic brain injury. And it it is really fascinating to see how music is bypassing some of these um, yeah. n- neural pathways that got interrupted because of the the, the TBI or because of the degenerate um, processes that's happening in the tissues, mm-hmm. but that then somehow music is bypassing it because it's connecting to this broader interconnection of synapses in the brain. And it's like, oh, wow. And so they use music in those populations to help people have those feelings of like yeah. oh I'm I'm back to myself for a moment I'm even alive. if it's just for the time when the music's happening yeah. um, then there's all of these positive like chemicals that can happen in the brain it can help to alleviate depression you know for those times and all of that feels really yeah it's yummy and sweet to see yeah mm, I'm curious too because there's some songs that you can put on and you just start to feel a bit of chaos or it like you, you can get in touch with your anger. And then there's some where you just like feel a lot of like you want to bring in a lot of pleasure. So I'm wondering, mm-hmm. too, if it's like maybe I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not saying that this is Kurt Cobain's fault, but when I was like 15 and I was only listening to Nirvana, I felt I felt really depressed a lot of the time. And I know he struggled with depression himself. So I'm wondering if there's a part of the, I don't know if it's like the intention of the artist or just a part of their spirit that kind of flows through their music. Mm -hmm. And also why um, it may be part of why your medicine, your music is so much medicine is because Mm -hmm. you um, have integrated so much medicine in your own life that it flows Mm -hmm. through. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love, I love this curiosity, you know, there there's a there's a it's a thick answer you know because yeah. for one person hearing a song um that is move that touches on complex emotions mm-hmm. depression you know like states can actually feel like empathy like oh mm-hmm. my god someone understands me i'm not alone mm-hmm. and so for some people while they're processing really heavy heartbreak to listen to music that is 
steeped in heartbreak yeah. can actually help to process the emotions, especially if that person ha- doesn't have a creative writing practice or they haven't been able to process their emotions. Mm. Being with someone who has processed it and then brought it through, it's like, oh, it can be super cathartic simultaneously for another mm. at another time or another mm. stage of uh, the healing cycle, going back to that music actually puts us in a state that isn't, po- you know, and so it's, yeah. it's kind of, it's, it's edgy, it's like this piece around, I remember one of my music therapy um, mentors, she would work with people right at the edge of suicide. Mm-hmm. And she would create these mixtapes for them based on you know and she'd work one-on-one with them and she'd take them through like a a musical journey so that that actually touched their anger and their despair Mm -hmm. they'd pull different songs that actually touched it but then not stay there too long they'd make sure to like create this flow to like okay triumph or hope or relaxation or whatever and then the they would have to listen to that cd every single day as a meditation and then like Mm -hmm. The next week and then they would take that kind of intentional journey using that that anger kind of thing as a as a medicine application and so I I like it is interesting because music can put us in a state mm-hmm. and help us touch kind of the deeper untouched places within us and it simultaneously it can throw us in these places and then we might not be able to know how to bring ourselves back and that's also the power of like a a musician and an artist they have Mm -hmm. such a powerful ability to emotionally wield a a realm and an energetic field and so if if they take somewhere 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 super intense and then not necessarily bring them back the person might not know how to bring themselves back Mm -hmm. and that might be chaotic or they you know and so it's yeah, it's it's an interesting idea of like, oh, what's the responsibility of an artist? Is it to just be authentic and and spill their heart out and let people be responsible for their own emotions? Or is there this other capacity to really create a journey that takes people mm-hmm. through a ride and then actually brings them out and leaves them in a place where they're they could be uplifted they could have touched those yeah. places but they also touched homeostasis and and this other state yeah and I guess it's all medicine because what you what you brought up that your mentor does um mama Gina uh Regina Thomas Howard I interviewed her last month she does the same thing it's called swamping where like you play a song that invokes a lot of anger in you or whatever emotion you're really needing to embody to like let flow through you but then you follow it with like a very sensual song and you do a sensual erotic dance so that you can kind of rewire that like oh I have the choice to also move the pleasure Mm -hmm. you know and so you rewire that network and um but that that song of anger is needed too you know it's um like anything can be a portal, I suppose, and how you use it. Um, totally. And nothing like music to like, be like, Oh, wow, you know, I love music. If we have anger, and we're like, God, I don't know what to do that this sensation and intensity, we put a music, a song on, and then it's like, Oh, we can rage yeah. and move our body and like, yeah, process it. It's like, wow, it can be so liberating. Yeah. yeah. And it's so interesting, um, too, how it can affect our ceremonial experience, mm-hmm. because even like you could be listening to all, um, I don't want to call it like spiritual music, but like, you know, 
the type of music that's playing mantras or whatever. But even like last weekend, I was on Mushrooms and the facilitator put on music. I guess it was maybe like from Nepal, but it had very like a lot of different instruments. And it just felt very like trickstery for me while on the medicine. And I started to feel kind of all over the place and not being able to like ground and harness in my intention. And so I, um, they all went out to the fire. So I like got in his phone and switched it to Prongi and, um, like, bam, all of a sudden I felt like really so much attunement with the medicine and the intentions that I brought. So it's so interesting how, you know, just the melody itself can affect you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wanted to talk to you as well about, this is, uh, what I first heard you speak on was what is womb wisdom? Mm, thank you. Well, yeah. I, the way that I have come to understand and explore those words together is that the womb is a portal and a sacred uh, cauldron in the mm. body. And for whatever reasons, I and many pe women that I know um, have felt a disconnection to this incredible portal that brings children through that stores information that is connected to all of this alchemy of creation mm -hmm. and the wisdom aspect is cultivating extra attention awareness presence in the womb in all of its processes you know from biological processes to more of the mystical stories and imprints and birth exchanges and ancestral pieces uh, that there's so much uh, that the womb becomes a doorway to a lot of learning about past and future. And that for me as an alchemist, as a devotee of creativity, um, the more I sit or allow myself to create and cultivate a reservoir of presence in that center of my body, the more anchored I am in this dimension <laughs> in this and in this earth realm, because it's the alchemical center that's closest to the planets, like closest to the earth. And for me, cultivating that kind of womb wisdom has helped me create more alignment with my heart center and my um, spirit center in my upper domain and has brought mind body and spirit actually into congruency and alignment with each other and themselves mm -hmm. um, but prior to really exploring womb wisdom or the knowledge that can be gained through exploring the area you know parts of the womb I felt more just like ooh, really in the journey of like mental spirit ideas and like feeling and emotion mm -hmm. but I wasn't connecting them to value or I wasn't connecting them to um, to the way that my lower cauldron had its own intelligence. Mm. Uh, that's for me connected to my values. It's connected to a primal knowing. And so bringing extra presence and spaciousness in my womb and, and having health, a healthy relationship with my cycle, all of these mm. things has allowed me to yeah, have more uh, context and more um, just appreciation for being in a body yeah. <laughs> and letting and letting the, my 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 spirit and my emotions come and play through the body and through the wisdom mm. of the body. Yeah. How do you like truly listen to the voice of your womb? Is it through just sitting in silence with your hand on your womb and seeing what voice comes up? Or is it um, maybe... I know you speak about 
you know, going through the song of our female bodies, like our monthly cycle and honoring mm-hmm. each stage? Is it, is it that as well? Or, or what? I would say it's a combination of all these yeah. things. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a library of different ways. So, I mean, the, the simplest thing that you said is really beautiful. It's like, oh, wow. I'm, for example, if I'm like, oh, I'm really like in a head heart conversation, but I can't really feel which way to go. Sometimes the thing for me to do is to sit calmly hands in my aura and, and drop my awareness and attention down into my womb mm. and just breathe for a minute and see what other insights arise. Yeah. That helps again, create this like this peace circuitry. And so that's a that's a simple grounding practice, but also with the wisdom of the different cycles, knowing that I'm going to be in a different phase of ideas, process, cognition, dreamlike awareness at every different Mm -hmm. phase of my hormonal cycle. So me having a deliberate relationship to those different phases so that I can track myself as I change throughout the month. And as Mm -hmm. I, as my creative process sort of goes through this self-counseling where it's like, well, I have the dreamer and now I have the doer and now I have the relisher and now I have the um, one who's, you know, picking it all apart and seeing what's not working. And I have these different voices. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the wisdom of the womb is to actually track those voices throughout the month and listen to what they all have to say yeah. in conversation. And Yeah. And I want to go deeper in that with you, but I, I, I was thinking, you know, had I heard your message five years ago, and mm-hmm. I tried to just listen to my womb, I don't think I would have heard anything because I had been, I had become so disconnected. And I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, if, um, if we haven't called a friend in like 10 years, and then all of a sudden we call them, there's a chance they might not pick up, you yeah. know, so like <laughs> that was kind of probably what would have happened five years ago. If I had tried mm-hmm. to hear from my womb, it may have not given me anything. And so, mm-hmm. but, you know, fortunately, in the years before I heard your message, I had really started to heal my womb and my relationship Mm -hmm. with it, my disconnect with it. So I was able to, the very first time that I tried that, like really Mm -hmm. hear its voice and it was really beautiful. And I'm able to do that with my Yoni as well, which is really beautiful. But Mm -hmm. I'm curious um, about that monthly cycle. So I'm curious how you honor each stage. Like if you're, if you can maybe go through and tell us about how our creativity is affected in each one, how our Mm. needs are affected and how we can honor each stage. I know for me, my deepest struggle is in my luteal because Mm -hmm. it's really, it's just a really hard and it's our longest part of our cycle. Um, Mm. But I just, I'm easily annoyed by my partner and my luteal. And I hear all women say that (laughs) by the littlest things, like the chewing, (laughs) sound of chewing. Um, And I just, I feel like so overstimulated and and just Mm -hmm. super edgy and um, it's not who I want to be. And it's, you know, again, it's the longest part of our cycle. So it's like, it's a bummer for me, but I'm curious what, when you go through each stage, maybe you can give some tips and tools for um, how to, I don't know if handle is the right word, but how to use yeah. it, I suppose. I mean, when I think about the, we'll start with luteal because I'm, <laughs> I'm late luteal right now. I'm like definitely understanding what the, the struggle is real with the lude. Um, 
One of the things that I have come to realize about the luteal phase and the what used to feel really challenging, I've started to build a relationship with as the superpower of mm. this phase, which my my partner just two days ago, because I was like, I come, you know, <laughs> I'm harvesting all the things that aren't going well. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this, this, this. And he's like, yes, this is your superpower right now. You know, he knows he's been tracking with me this knowledge for a while. And he's like, this is, remember, this is your superpower of the month is that you're extra sensitive. What a um, great partner. He's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you're extra sensitive. You have an increased skill at seeing what's not working. So that you can you can take everything to the next level, right? And but in the moment of having the experience of realizing what's not working, it can be uncomfortable because it it's usually not rational. And so people are like, oh, you know, there's this trope in kind of American culture. It's like that a, a woman will be luteal and be non-rational. In she's her about upset. to bleed. Yeah. She's about to bleed. She's not rational in what she's upset about. And the partner will be like, Are you about to bleed? You know, and this is this like trope, you know. Yeah. Um, but the what is being missed in that is that that's a that's part of the magic <laughs> that like, oh, I'm not bound in this time of my cycle by having to have everything fit rationally. And if I was having to have everything fit rationally, and that's my expectation of myself, then I'm going to be in a big clash internally. Mm. And so there is this um, reclaiming of, hey, what what are the gifts of not being optimally rational in like I might be when I'm in my follicular phase or I have more access to like logical rational boom single-minded focus I'm more like Mm -hmm. you know my I'm in the rise energy I'm more in this traditional like uh, what's expected of me of my culture I can function up in that mode Mm -hmm. Um, but in this way the gifts that I've seen for myself is like I can I can have radical insights about what's like a creative problem to solve or I can see things beyond rational understanding but that it's intuitive and it's felt and maybe half of what I'm feeling is just like it's mixed up but that when I go into my bleed some of that pulses out and be like wow this half was really upset but this half was really important it's really significant and if I was just in a rational mind, I may not have picked up on all of this. And so there is this self-compassion piece when I'm in my luteal, like, okay, I'm going to have increased frustration, my liver cheese being like prepping to release. So like during, you know, and liver cheese connected, liver stagnation is connected to frustration and anger and resentment and bitterness Mm -hmm. and jealousy and irritation. And so I'm like, oh, okay, before I bleed, I should probably start taking some liver clearing stuff. But the liver is also connected to vision and imagination. And so when when the liver is stagnant, it's going to have these like 
challenges. So when our vision is stagnant, when our imagination might be stagnant, it will have these challenges. And when we bleed, some of that starts to purge and purify. Um, so when I'm in that phase of my cycle, it's like, okay, I'm going from this conscious realm, I'm starting to wane energetically. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I, and I, it's hard to adjust from I have just been on this two week kind of rise and ride, which felt mm-hmm. really good. And I was in the groove. And so to like want to keep going, but having all my energy naturally start to wane can feel like a dis- disappointing. You're yeah. like, oh man, not again. I was so happy. I'd finally solved all these problems from last month or from three <laughs> months ago. I'm finally feeling more like myself than ever. Oh yeah. no, not this waning energy again. Oh. And I think for me, the expect it's resolving expectations that I'm gonna ride that energy forever has really changed my orientation to when I start to wane I start to go okay great I'm waning so for the next week and a half or two weeks I'm going to shift my expectations of my energy and really make a lot of space for me to be in my in my like subconscious it's a great time to do emotional purging work like if like okay well this is the time of my month that I'm gonna do the kinds of practices that support me moving through challenging emotions or I'm gonna study those techniques right now I don't have to do them when I'm feeling good but right now I'm not feeling so good so like why don't I do some purgative journaling or why don't I do some of my grief work doing this time (laughs) why don't I do some of these other things that don't they're not as much about me performing logically outwardly but they're more about me really tuning in and and integrating and cleaning house both cleaning my house here and cleaning my house internally yeah and I've heard a lot of women like say that you know when they're ovulating is is it tends to be when they have the cheating dreams, you know, and, uh, and then the luteal is when they they basically can't stand their husbands. They love them. Like everything's frustrating. Right. And then, uh, and then the bleed, you know, can be a mix of things, but then uh, follicular is when they tend to be in love again. And Mm -hmm. so I'm curious, um, it almost feels like what's real, like which one is actually the relationship, you know, like is, is your relationship in trouble if every luteal phase you feel this way or like is that just mm. part of being a woman, you know? I mean, that's a deeper question um, that is because <laughs> um, like I don't have the experience of being. I mean, I do have an experience of maybe being extra sensitive to my partner's yeah, like being irritated with anything that's in my in close proximity with me. And mm-hmm. so I think it's a proximity thing. Um, I wouldn't go so far as saying that it's every woman's problem or that every woman that's frustrated with their man or their partner during their luteal, it's that it's a red flag that it's not working. But for some people, it might be, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's really like, I remember before I was really tracking my cycle, me and my partner would get into a fight every time before I was bleeding. And that was always interesting to me. I'm like, oh, we're always, we're not able to problem solve when my intensity is up or when I'm not in my like rationality and we haven't problem solved as a couple Mm -hmm. to be able to ride that collaboratively together in a healthy way. Cause we were, you know, young and we had no idea what was happening. Um, So in that scenario, that was accurate. I was like, oh, we're fighting here and we don't have 
um, the collaborative skill sets to be able yeah. to ride the wave. Um, but in other partnerships that that wasn't the case or my current partnership, that's okay. So if I get more ragey and punchy during this cycle, mm-hmm. we've created collaboratively the skill sets to ha- how he can meet me or how I can go, you know, direct my upset away from him or, yeah. or bring my, the things I'm frustrated with him in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that, yeah, those are some immediate insights that I have. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love that your partner does that work with you. I know I was trying to explain um, to a man uh, about the four stages and he was like really blown away because he had never, and he was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. But my partner was sitting there and he was like, basically in the luteal phase, just watch out. Like he kept saying that over and over. And I was like, I'm in my luteal phase right now. Like, uh. Why aren't you taking your own advice? Because <laughs> 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 it was like, felt so hurtful. So I love that he has mm. a really clear and clean understanding of that. I imagine that's super yeah. healing. Um, I mean, I think it's really like a part of the work of our generation yeah. to include the masculine folk. Because all the studies have been basically on the masculine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we just, it's time to start including those who are testosterone based in their cycles, mm-hmm. including them in the understanding of the nuances of this. And for yeah for those who are estrogen based in their cycles and in their bodies, it's our work to self, to get a, to get familiar with our own experience of that so that we can start to include our testosterone based systems, what it's like for us. And so that they're prepared, not only just for their partners, but for their coworkers and their friends and their sisters and their mothers. And to just have increasing compassion of like, Oh, this is where a lot of the disconnect has been because their system is based in this whole other kind of functioning than um, systems that have wombs that are, have, you know, have these kinds of hormones that create these different kinds of rides and what estrogen based systems are navigating as well is a cultural expectation that it's supposed to be like this, but what we're discovering is actually we're like this and we have to find out how to be like this and like this together. Yeah. Mm, yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, there's like a crumbling of the patriarchy, which is that that like it has to be this way. And um, it's so I do feel like uh, all of a sudden it's not so weird for men to start tracking their women's cycles. And it's really <laughs> I mean, it just brings more peace. Yeah. Peace between the sheets, man. It brings yeah. more peace. It brings more health to all relationship systems, regardless of it just brings more awareness, like increase anything that brings more awareness and compassion for how people are different than you yeah. <laughs> is going to bring it more harmony, I yeah. think. And so this is the main, this is one of the great differences of our species. So mm-hmm. it, why not everyone get really curious and well-informed and collaborative in building bridges in that way? Yeah. And I know, um, you were the one that introduced me to the idea of fasting from social media while I bleed and just going inwards. And, uh, you said, uh, something along the lines of like, the more we, the more we rest, 
during the time that we bleed, the more we set ourselves up for success for the month to come. That's right. And oh my gosh, I didn't know that. And when I put that into practice, it was life changing for mm-hmm. me because when I overworked myself during my bleed, I felt fatigued throughout the rest of the month. I, I just, I overdid it, you know, mm-hmm. um, even in my workouts, like even in my, just, you know, I didn't, I, I, uh, I started to, if I was going to do movement during my bleed, mm-hmm. it would just be yoga, like towards mm-hmm. the end of it. There was no, nice. like I'm doing weights because, you know, I'm not going to miss a day or whatever it was, right. or, um, you know, scheduling things. And I'm a mom of two, so mm-hmm. I can only go so far with it, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I was bleeding on every full moon and I thought that in woman, woman who run with the wolves, I thought that she said that, that like before we were introduced to artificial lighting, we all kind of bled together either on the full moon or the new moon. Um, and so it felt really magical when I would bleed on the full moon, but now it seems to be moving towards the new moon all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. I mean, my understanding is that that cycles change throughout the year, depending oh. on, I mean, maybe I, maybe it's the artificial light. I mean, who knows? There's a lot of theories because it's so mm. mysterious. I mean, yeah. this is my, I just talked about this yesterday in a class. Uh, it's really mysterious. Like in the Taoist tradition, they say, oh, if a woman um, sips in the moon cream on the full moon, every full moon, then, and she's attuning to that, then she'll start cycling and bleeding with the new moon. And that means she's in balance with the moon. And then mm. I've heard other people say it's like oh well if a woman is bleeding on the new moon it means she's more fertile but if she bleeds on the full moon it means she doesn't want to have a baby you know it's like there's these like there's all of this kind of lore (laughs) like magical lore in these old traditional systems and yeah one of my mentors which I'll name here Laura Layla I mean we've chatted about this and I've I learned from her and I've really felt this to be true is that a woman woman will her cycle will change. A womb will start bleeding and changing depending on her destiny, like depending on what's happening, depending on maybe it like a ble- a blood needs to be a few days late so that there's an energetic release on this specific time because of what's building up or maybe there's been stress in the system emotionally and so she bleeds a month like a week early or maybe skips a bleed and and this is all kind of information of just wow how sensitive our bodies are to our like life experience and not to um, diminish that or make any of it bad or wrong, but just make it as like, wow, this is more information that we have because we're syncing with our life. And now if there's a shift now I can be like, wow, what's changing within me? What is this in response to? And that, and that not really a lot of it because it's hanging out in the mythic lore aspect is not a bunch of it is verifiable by science. So it's all really self-discovery and experimentation and curiosity and wonder. And yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious too, when it comes to our cycles about the creativity part, I'm curious to know what opens you up to be in reception mode for creativity, because Mm -hmm. you said that you create the way that you breathe without choice or hesitation. And that (laughs) sounds so lovely because, um, I feel blocked from my creativity in certain parts of my cycle. I know I do the best writing when I'm bleeding, when the veil is the thinnest Uh and um, the other parts of my cycle, I I feel like I fall off even like posting on social media, which, you know, for even in healing work tends to be a a part of marketing. And so um, that creative, that writer, I feel like is who I am deep down. And so to feel like I can only access it at certain parts 
feels almost like I'm missing something. So I'm curious how that's worked for you. Hmm. I think it's really, I mean, it changes, it changes all the time. It's yeah. such a, I mean, you know, I'm laughing because you're, you're quoting a bio that was written by a bio writer for me like a decade oh. ago. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, yeah, he did say that. I'm like, is that, I'm like thinking, like, is it still true? Do I still just create like breathing without choice or hesitation? Well, interesting. I mean, I think that I, that I create a lot. And I think I have a lot of choice and hesitation and spontaneity and like, you know, riding different waves and different cycles and it changes which year I'm in or which, because there's like the month cycle, but then there's seasons of my life. There's astrology transits that are just like influencing all of that. And there's so many parts of it. I think what is true for me, which I can stand behind (laughs) is that, creativity is a constant companion and mirror for mm. me to be in curiosity about how I'm feeling and what I want and what I desire and mm. what's up for me and even when I'm not creating it's a it's a mirror um and I I'd say that for me creativity is also a devotion and a discipline and so mm. there is a balance of you know, it started as a child just being in delight and naturally following my uh, exploration and, and and discovery and experimentation mind, mind, just like, ooh, what would happen if I did this or that? And then over time going, oh, I have a natural enjoyment of this process. I wonder how I can learn to create the things I actually really am inspired by. And like, what would it take to get what I'm creating here just through my experimentation up over here to this thing that's super dialed in? Like, what do I have to learn from here to there to get it better? And like, oh, I have to learn all these skills. Great. Well, I guess I'll just start to cultivate more skill, more skill, more skill. And so there, then a balance started to come for me of like cultivating this dedicated action, like a practice, I had to practice, I had to practice when I, I had to find the resolve within me to practice, even when I felt resistance to do it, I had to be in conversation with my resistance. Um, yeah. And then, pra- and then start practicing in a way where it just felt really good to practice where I wasn't like having to do it. And then I'd break and I wouldn't practice for six months and then be like, Oh, what happened? You know, and like, I'd have to court my, my relationship with it again. And, and that's happening for every phase of creativity. I think also being in this at this phase of my creative life where there's um, there's many projects in many different phases. It's, it's more like this garden that I'm tending to now. It's like, wow, I've planted all these seeds. They're all growing at different time. They're all going to have to harvest at different times, but I'm thinking like three years down the line, we're going to like do this over here. And then I'm like, well, definitely next season, I'm going to do this over here. Um, so I need to start making the orders for those plants so I can make the like whatever part of the garden over here, but I can't stop weeding and watering over here because these are thriving. And so how do I, be, and you're a mom, you I'm sure you understand this. I'm like, how do I become an, uh, so attuned to the garden of what's of of what I'm creating and what's possible? So and and mourn well the things that didn't make it. Like, oh shit, I was so busy thinking two years in the future that like this whole harvest died. Oops, you know, and like <laughs> gotta clear that up. So I think in that's like a more metacognition of um, what it takes. And then just on the daily daily 
it's like any plan. Like I have to <clears throat> plan to create or else I'm planning on not creating. Like if I don't mm. plan, really good. I'm creating a vacuum for my own squirrely yeah. uh, patterns of just filling up space with my own like what anxiety or drama so mm -hmm. if I if I don't make a plan and stick to it for creativity then yeah it doesn't happen yeah and I'm also noticing um that maybe not only is the veil thinner when I bleed and that's why I feel more um, in tune with my creativity but also like I tend to feel more powerful when I bleed and when I ovulate nice. and so Maybe that's also where I like to write from because mm. in luteal, I never want to write, but I, I tend in my ovulation to want to nest and like mm. buy things for the home and like buy a goddess outfit. And I notice though, then it I, arrives in my luteal and I put it on and I'm like, this looks awful, you know? Oh, sweet like, <laughs> one. <laughs> I'm feeling like not only am I so bloated in my luteal, but my esteem is a little bit lower. So then I'm like, this doesn't look good. But I noticed today I just wrapped up my bleed and I was going to return that outfit. And I put it on one more time and I was like, oh, this is amazing. This looks great. And so it's like that big of a difference in how I feel about things mm, is how much yeah. my hormones affect me. So it must be the same in my writing. Um, I think too, it's interesting. I mean, again, following the muse of when you feel that spontaneous writing is like really good and getting to know for yourself. Me, I like writing I mean, I, it's again, it's like, I, I try and write every day. I try and write mm. four or five times a week, at least in my journal or typing out. And then there's times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit and write a song because I've made the space. And it, for me, it doesn't matter where in my cycle I am. I mean, sometimes I'll try and sit and write a song and I'm like, no, you know, I'm just like not into it. But, uh, Again, I think it for me, it's really fun because it's uh, the things I'm going to be thinking about and feeling about feeling through are going to change so much during mm -hmm. the, the the moon. And so it's fun for me as an experiment, a creator of like, ooh, how how can I create a portal of creativity during any of these phases so that I can know myself in all of these ways and I can really get to, to locate the variety of who I am. Yeah. Mm, we're every woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you said, and I don't know when this was written, but you said that the great work that women get to do is deeply steeped in this womb clearing because that's what clears our energetic signature of resentments, misalignments around our own voice and boundaries. That's so, so potent. Oh, okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, fun. Thanks for reading that to me. I don't know yeah. where that was. Maybe in one of my posts a while ago. I heard you say it in a podcast. Oh, and great. so it just flowed out of you. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious what you think we're healing when we're doing this ancestral work and, and womb wisdom clearing, because um, it's something I feel deeply called to. And I know that... Um, Part of my lineage, I feel deep down to be true, is Magdalene. Mm -hmm. And I also know that part of my lineage is Aztec Native American. And what came up last week and what's come up in a lot of ceremonies in the last year is that so much pain and heartbreak around the story of Mary and Jesus being completely altered and not even really um, having access to the true story and, and all this debate 
around whether they were married and whether they had kids and what he did in his lost years. And like, you don't hear debates like that about Buddha or Krishna. And it's, it's, it feels so frustrating because it feels like, you know, I, 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 I don't, I'm not going to say that it can compare because what they went through was so traumatic, but it reminds me of like when African-Americans, they hit a wall in tracing their lineage because the slave owners changed their name. And so they can only go so far back in their ancestry. Mm -hmm. They can only know it so well. And there's a part of me that like feels that way about this part of my lineage. And while also um, having some deep religious wounding that I've been working on where, um, you know, I was taught that Jesus is the only way to God. Mm -hmm. He's the only son of God. And he's the only, that that quote, which I don't believe Jesus said of um, no one gets to the father except through me. Right. So this whole story uh, has been so hurtful for me because so much of it has been removed and not being feeling resonant with what's in the Bible. um, But growing up being told that that's like my access to God, you know, there's that. And then there's this part of my lineage of the Aztec native American where like this crystal is God you're God, I'm God. Like, and so, um, it's not that I feel, um, a split. It's just that in my cell memory, uh, it can feel that like, um, I can feel that each part is being dishonored, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and every time I work on my religious woundings and every time I take medicine and every time I do the sober work as well, these two parts of my lineage and my ancestral work, um, it feels like in working on it, um, that there's like a big part of my work is supposed to be, or an invitation to help others heal their relationship with God and healing that duality between the two. But yeah, I wanted to share that part. Um, as you go into what it is to, to do womb clearings and, and, and to work on our, heal our lineage, um, because that's something that I'm so deep in right now and just feeling like, um, really heartbroken in both sides and feeling like when someone tries to use religious dogma, it actually feels dishonoring to that part of my lineage of mm-hmm. Magdalene and that part of the Aztec native American. And, mm-hmm. and so there, it's, it's something I'm really trying to navigate right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing your experience and your story and and touching into these historical ruptures mm-hmm. that happen in, you know, all over. <laughs> There's so many ruptures mm-hmm. within the memory of our individual and collective where we came from. And there's just a lot in the historical uh texture of things that were in that are incomplete Mm -hmm. that are that were that created stress that informed our the neurology of our ancestors that informed the um construct and social expectations of that and that have been carried on and, and carried on and carried on and without going into specifics what i what i currently believe and view in terms of ancestral clearing while there's there's a lot of specific work to do that and and I I think it's really fun you know it's like fun to go on these scavenger hunts or just scavenger but like these like 
historical hunts through how far can we go back in terms of actual remembered um, history and how much of the remembered history of our own lines have been adapted based on the storyteller <laughs> and who's telling it and how much of it has been left out and omitted because that was often a practice of families when there was something shameful is to just not talk about it and how mm -hmm. does that impact the like pressure of the silencing Mm -hmm. So what I currently think is that we don't have to know all the details of what happened, but instead feeling into the the possibility of what has happened for group consciousness. You know, it's like mm -hmm. there's so many cultural hypnotic messages that got passed down through conversation mm -hmm. and through these different things. And sometimes that knowledge of like, oh, I have to figure out exactly what it is, I think is a little like, yeah. It, there's some parts of that that can be useful and sometimes we don't have to know exactly the things yeah. except to just be in the curiosity at least for me my current practice like being the curiosity of wow is there anything that is I am storing in my system that mm -hmm. is based on in deprivation and fear based on incompletions with ancestors that left this world incomplete that I can now like without maybe knowing the information fully um ask my own body what's here that wants to be surrendered or what what is what's here in my body that is an imprint that is something that isn't doesn't belong mm -hmm. to an individual but that is a hereditary or like collective or ancestral thing that's been carried down yeah. and so those are some immediate thoughts but ultimately i feel currently in this like just in resonating with your beautiful desire to support people coming back to their relationship to god or you know whatever word feels good with that the divine the creative the mean like you know divinity um for me i really resonate with that and i feel like so much of <clears throat> connecting to my womb and connecting to the divine that's really powerful ancestral healing work because it it starts to build partnering with the the great lineage which is all of creation yeah. and, and starts to um create this other kind of core strength that calls upon the wisdom and health of our ancestors as well and what are all the gifts of resilience and thriving that they they brought through and what are some of the echoes of um maybe like survival like oh i'm gonna behave this way because i have to survive and maybe it's these more subtle nuance of like oh this is a primal survival kind mm -hmm. of thing then I, I learned through the actions of my parents or my family system or like their family they learn these things and so those are some of the kinds of things that's like wow when i'm really partnered with my womb when i'm really self-partnering with the divine there's i can i notice more when i'm in habits that are part of my acquired identity or acquired personality that are likely strategies that I developed in response to early childhood experiences that are full of all of the unconscious imprints that have been passed down through the culture and through my family. And so it's, it's for me, that's my current hanging out with. And I also hang out with the the calling to like, there are ancestors in my line that are healthy and well in the spirit world that can help me as allies support me now becoming um, increasingly 
open to my potential and help me navigate if there's anything in behind me in my ancestral line that's not healed to help me as an ally that like any of these energies that might back from fully expressing my gifts and my genius in the world and my love and my light um, because of fear, because of, of protection, because of, oh, we got to survive, that now my healthy, well ancestors can come on as allies and help to help me navigate that on the invisible realm. And for me, that's a beautiful meditation. It's a beautiful um, image that I have in my mind and my consciousness of like, wow, I am supported by my, by where I've come from. And I also have this extra attunement to paying attention to where have I come from that is incomplete that I can complete in this lifetime without and maybe I don't know all of the details about that but just me asking the question answers start coming through subtle ways Hmm, yeah I I attended some um some sort of racial trauma workshop. I'm in Layla Martin's year long program. And I love that she requires that we do things around uh, racial justice and things like that. She does not, um, she does not allow for just like uh, it to just be like, uh, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what word to use, but just like um, where just because we're one way, the way that our work would affect someone else. Like she doesn't allow us. I'm getting all discombobulated because I'm so enamored by all of what you just said. So I'm like not able to, to filter out the sentence, but um, basically like she doesn't want us to have like the privilege of, of not knowing how this affects the LGBTQ community, the black community and all that stuff, the work that we're doing. So she, we do workshops and we did one around racial justice. And um, he had talked about a study where, trauma is stored in our body for like 12 or 14 generations. Like it's stored in our DNA. And so um, I love the thought of this work that you're talking about, how to think about like our ancestors that you talked about that are allies, that at one point they were doing this work thinking of us, you know, and then now Mm -hmm. we're doing this work, this healing work to clear and restore and heal that DNA for our future generations mm-hmm. and how it's healing them. And then one day, you know, it's like such a beautiful visual. And, um, you know, I've had three, um, allies that show up for me that, um, you know, Magdalene, the, the native American woman, Guadalupe, and then uh, a Congolese one, which mm-hmm. she hasn't told me her name, but I know she's Congolese because it's just so obvious, but, um, those three show up for me and, and each one of them, it's a very, different type of um healing path so um it's really cool to to open up to that and and i'm curious though for those who and i I think we've kind of already answered it but for those who don't have any um idea of what happened to their feminine lineage they don't know who Mm -hmm. their allies are they're brand new to this Mm -hmm. what would be like maybe their their first step in womb clearing i know you talked about just being curious but uh, I'm not yeah. sure anything else you want to add. Yeah, I I think a good first step for someone brand new, like, wow, I don't know what happened to my mom's womb or my mom's mom's womb or anyone is, <clears throat> is to start with just tracking your own cycle. <laughs> like mm-hmm. That as a path for 13 moons. Like yeah. for 13 months, <clears throat> a whole year, just track your cycle, really 
solidly this track week by week what's happening track at every month take a couple of days each month to to pray and to be with your blood and and start to just be in that curiosity and if your mom is alive and you feel comfortable asking questions about you know what she understands about her mom and what she learned about her womb and what her birth was like that she can start to ask her mother like hey what was my birth like you know how what was your birth like you know what was it like to um for you as a woman and it's more just kind of the curiosity of like what happened to women in my country you know if like you know your genetic history you can start to look at like well when did the when did the laws around voting change? When could women start to have their own bank account? When could women in my country or where my family come from start to go to school? Who were the first um, ancestors that were able to start going to um, school beyond grade two or grade six or like who graduated high school, who went to college, who were the men? We weren't allowed to have bank accounts past, you know, until the late seventies. Right. So these kinds of like just being in those kinds of starting to get curious. It, again, it's like if we don't know exactly what happened to our women in mm-hmm. our blood lineage, we know like we're, we come from like, you know, we have one mother, two grandmothers, four great grandma, eight, 16. So like not that many generation. You're getting like 32, 64, 100 different women. Mm-hmm that are having a hundred different kinds of experiences mm-hmm. that probably um, some of them lost babies. Some of them mm-hmm. were molested. Some of them were left. Some of them were, you know, like all, the whole picture <laughs> is likely to be there. And so to start having compassion of like, wow, if I don't even, I don't might not know the exact details that I can, mm-hmm probably guess that my womb has some kind of resonance to the impact that all women have experienced in the last 200 years yeah or beyond yeah and I I'm curious for those who are also new to this um maybe they know your music and so they hopped onto this podcast but they're new to this um this thought they may hear that and think like, that sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like a lot of work. Why would I, why would I, what's the benefit? So if you could put it in simple terms, what would you say if they totally? Well, I mean, it sounds like a lot of work when we're thinking we're, we're responsible for clearing every single one of their stories and wounds, Mm -hmm. which I don't believe that is what is required of us. Mm -hmm. It's, I think the, thing that we get to be response in response to is the compassion for what humans have had to experience while on planet earth and specifically women who were socialized as women had to fall in line to what was expected of women to have compassion and an understanding of what that was like and what that has how that impacts our generation and what the new choices that our generation get to start making Mm. that are breaking the cycle of some of those expectations and narratives that that becomes the work it's not clearing it it's not going into the weeds with everyone's story right you know like they're everyone has they're on their own journey spiritually Mm. all of those souls whether they're alive or not but our unique journey as a soul is that we get to be a stand for what's next 
And so the work then becomes, which is still a lot of work, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's the work of a lifetime of who do I, who do I want? How much of myself do I want to experience in this life? How much of my birthright do I want to lean into and am I willing to show up for myself in that way and if I'm not and 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 meet the parts of myself that aren't sure about that or that are dormant or that are a bit frozen that that's the work of individuating from the family line in a way that I'm individuating from what has been carried on as a way to break the cycle for the lineage and that's the healing it's Mm -hmm. it's claiming responsibility um for what we do moving forward and so that's a little bit different than doing this like back backlog and sunstroke work that will happen naturally the more we encounter ourselves in the places where like um (laughs) and the places where we encounter the deprivation in our nervous system or the freeze in our nervous system Mm -hmm. or the response the the irksome and slow down enough again this is why i say oh 13 months of slowing down during our cycle starts Mm -hmm. to train the system of like oh i'm allowed to slow down oh i'm allowed to pause Mm -hmm. oh i'm allowed to break that starts to help the nervous system be like wow i can slow down in other points of my life i don't just have to go into the survival pattern oh where did that survival pattern come from i think i learned that from my mom oh crazy what what if i tried this other thing you know yeah and that's more like it's not as it's like indirect but it that's where how the actual the rubber meets the road and where this work starts to show up in our daily lives and I think most people that are called to listen to this podcast and and also called to listen to your music and and to your work um one of the reasons why they're called to it is because they've received that inner call of this type of ancestral and womb clearing that that just it can't be ignored you know when you're getting the call Mm -hmm. and like you can't not answer it it's it Mm -hmm. seems impossible right and Mm -hmm. and I think too like when I look at my life and I see wow there's been this generational curse of um, molestation of um, abandonment from fathers of Mm -hmm. choosing violent partners of Mm -hmm. choosing um, of somehow calling in a narcissist like all these things when you look at those generational curses, there's this like, um, it feels almost like a, an, an obligation to not pass that on to your children and to not pass that on to your grandchildren. And so even if it sounds like work, it's like, what, what better work is there? I don't, you know, like we're, but to be a curse breaker, you know, and teach mm-hmm. that for our children. So, um, so we have one audience question before we close off the show. Okay. And, uh, this person was curious about your stay at home retreats. Oh yeah. yeah. What would you like to know? I mean, I, I can talk about it. We can just riff yeah, on so, um, they said, how does she conduct these? And what is the significance of resetting her body? Yeah. Well, my stay-at-home retreats, um, actually, I taught a masterclass on this called yeah. Spark in the Dark. So you can go check it out on my website, okay. um, templeofthemuse.com. And I'll just give a brief overview because I'm about to have a retreat. It's not going to be stay-at-home. I'm actually going to another place for two weeks. Mm. Um, someone else's home. gone, <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to pretend it's my home for two weeks. Nice. I could just have a shift in orientation, but I do do these retreats at home. 
and how I conduct them for myself is to plan ahead that these are the days that I'm not going to do anything except what I set out to do in retreat. And I prepare my clients and the people I work with and my friends to like not expect to hear from me for these four days, five days, seven days. I turn off my phone off. Ah. Bye. And I turn on, I'm away on my email. And so I actually create, and it sometimes it can take a couple of months to, to plan ahead. You know, I've taken a month offline um, in order for me to have conduct these kinds of containers for myself for different kinds of healing mm-hmm. um, and integration and rest and reset and mm-hmm. practice that for me, I have certain practices that yes, I can do every day. And yes, I can integrate in my life. But um, I do really well when I can devote wholeheartedly to doing those practices as a work in, and not have any other thing that I'm attempting to integrate into that because mm-hmm. then the work gets to potentize into something where the fruits of that work can and, um, create a different thing. It creates yeah. deeper states of relaxation and attunement to different parts of my psyche and creativity. And um, so the how I conduct it is, yes, I plan ahead. And then I'll spend a few days, however long, in a container with... Um, specific protocol that I've created for myself based on whatever practices I really want to stabilize. And I give myself a lot of time to rest because those retreats for us and our the habits of how f- much mental activity we're spending on social media and keeping up with these things and traveling and doing all these things, like that's wearing us in a specific way that when we take away all of that, um, we have to go through an, a, a couple of days of adjustment. And that can be, that can be taxing to the system, especially since some of those things are addictive and they like keep us in this sort of cortisol hijack. Um, so having the first few days just be like, wow, I might sleep 12 hours those days yeah. <laughs> and preparing for that to be part of it too. And not having the expectation that I'm just going to like bubble through all of that. Like the body needs that reset. And that's mm-hmm. half the reason I do those retreats is to really just, um, create the space for my brain to go into that kind of repair mm. the the habits of modernity yeah. and um and then for me my practices my retreats include a lot of creativity like I'll have a creative aspect to it and I'm doing some different movement practices and meditations that um but I'm doing multiple throughout the day so I'll have like multiple meditations and sets multiple movement sets soft Mm -hmm. movement sets and then maybe like two hours of study and then like four hours of a creative process and then that's like Mm -hmm. 10 hours and then I might be like resting it really is a retreat Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. And I think, again, it's, it's the nourishment that and it's work too. It's a different kind of work. It's retreat, but it's focused and it take you know, it has its own kind of, usually if I do those retreats, I need to like, when I come home, I need to integrate for a little while. I don't just jump right back into my life. I need a few days maybe to like, oh, get back into a a rhythm. Um, So that's a short overview. uh, But I go deeper into it. And I'm happy to, yeah, that's a, that's a special love. And as an artist, I really relish the creative retreats that I do because I, I, that's how I bring through big bodies of work sometimes is I just like dedicate the space for it and nothing else is happening. Mm, So beautiful. Thank you. That's so inspirational. (laughs) 
So there's a few short questions that I end every show with. The first mm-hmm. one is if you could young if you could hug your younger self right now, what would oh. you say? Oh, fuck them. No. <laughs> You're a hug and be like, those punks don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> um, I would, I honestly, I'd probably like give her a hug and I, I would, I would tell her that like her creativity is really so special and that she, she, should not be afraid to do it mm-hmm. even if other people have some kind of response that that anyone's response to my creative like exploration whether it's singing or writing if I'm doing that in my own space and respectful of a group feel that if someone has a reaction to that a response to that um that to not take that on that that's mm-hmm. their response to what what their own relationship with creativity um because I think that part of me was like oh I like I would just I love creating but I was really worried about other people and people would have all kinds of reactivities Mm. and I would like fall away and and I would want to protect her so much and just be like bubble her and be like you this is this is all you have to worry about is this and um I would give her a hug and I'd let her know that like they you know the ones the the gaps in the kinds of um nourishment that you need that that's not your fault that like I would just and that there were gaps in the kind of nourishment that I needed and I would hug her and be like that's not your fault like you're gonna have you have everything you're gonna you're gonna find the path forward that feels really good and those are some things I would tell my little one that's beautiful if you could have the whole world read one book which would it be I mean, it's a hard question because there the first one that comes to mind. I'm like, oh, everyone should read the like crucial conversations or like some NVC book. (laughs) 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 Read about NVC, everyone. (laughs) Um, But I think uh, like in the more magical realms of of book. I, the one that comes to mind is this book called The Kin of a Ta Are Waiting for You. I love that book. Oh. And it's about the about dream magic and the collective dreaming. And I think mm. I would really love to hear what people thought about that book. Yeah. What is it called? The Kin of a Ta Are Waiting for You. The Kin of a Ta. I've never heard that. It's a really magical book and it's a great story. It's a short story. It's shorter. So if you need like a good short novel, that's very magical. And it's a little bit mind blowing around dream and myth. That's Mm -hmm. the one. Okay. I'm excited. And then lastly, if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? We are the miracle of love unfolded. We are the miracle. We are the miracle. I love that so much. <laughs> Thank you. What a gift. I didn't expect you to sing live. <laughs> Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can you say your website one more time and then where people can find you online so they can connect? Yeah. Well, my name is Maria Stark and I have a music website at maria-stark.com and um, you can find my work on creativity and womb health and uh, voice and vocal alchemy it's called templeofthemuse.com 
and you can find me there. You can find me on the Instagram and on TikTok and on the Facebook and on Spotify. You can come check out music on Spotify and definitely come listen to the new album Sapphire and my album Lineage, which uh, is connected to a lot of these songs about womb wisdom. And there's a bunch of other music there as well to come tune into. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jade. Appreciate it. Mm, what a gift, you guys. I know I wanted you to hear her music in the beginning, but I didn't expect her to sing. And I oh, I wanted her to just continue. Her voice is so, so healing to me. And just, uh, it makes me feel alive inside. And it, I don't know, it stirs something up in me, um, specifically with my, my feminine, with my sensual and with my, um, the medicine woman uh, within. So I'm so thankful for her. Uh, mm. <laughs> I'll also thank the affiliates, the best toys for sex at dameproducts.com. Code Jade gets 15% off. Pleasure wands and yoni eggs. Guys, I I just mentioned this at the end of every episode. And out of all of my affiliates, this is the one that you guys really tend to love. Like every week there are huge sales using my code and I'm so thankful. Uh, I mean, they're amazing. Like when you go on their site, you can't not get something because they're just, they're also just so beautiful. The, I have the cervix wand and the Jade Yoni egg. I really want to get the wand that has the flower inside because, oh my gosh, like using that with your flower. I mean, it's just so perfect, (laughs) but, uh, it's a way to have cervical, um, orgasms, but also the yoni eggs. There have been studies. It's basically like doing Kegels with the egg. It's like very toning um, for you, and it, it has a lot of health benefits long term. But it also there's been studies that show that it tones the face as well. Code Jade for a discount there as well. CBD, all things CBD at DirectHemp.com, and that is code Jade for a discount as well. I love their body butter and their sleep gummies. Higher dose infrared products. I love the women who are behind this company, who have created it. And I use, I'm gonna actually gonna use the sauna blanket as soon as I'm done recording. It's my favorite. I feel so much better after. I feel so cleansed. And then I always use my grounding mat before bed, my bioenergy mat. Code Jade75 for $75 off. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. Oh, it would mean so much, you guys, if you would leave a review. Just hit one of the stars or, you know, the fifth star, please, (laughs) and share an episode with a friend. If someone came up while you were listening to this, it's likely that they're meant to hear this episode. So send it over to them and hit subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. You can also join me on Instagram at Untamed and Unashamed Podcast. As always, be a light, stay open, and remember, you belong here.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.